Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And I think Jesus just models yet another good example for myself and for you. You don't always have to defend yourself. You don't always have to. People come at you with different accusations. I don't know. I mean, if, hopefully they're not true. If they're true, then hopefully you would, you know, own that. And if there needs to be an apology, then make that apology. But if you've served in ministry for any length of time, you understand what these accusations can look like, sound like, and feel like. And they're not always true. Sometimes the best way to deal with a false accusation is to remain silent. Jesus remained silent even when he was being accused of crimes that he never committed. Why? Because he knew that he was right with God. He didn't feel the need to defend himself because he already knew that God was going to finish his plan. Today, Pastor James reminds us that sometimes the best way to defend ourselves is to say nothing at all. God knows what's right and what's wrong, so we have to trust that he is going to judge fairly. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 15, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Mark chapter 15 is where we're at. Let's read through our text, and then I'm going to pray, okay? I'm going to read through all the whole thing. We're going to cover the first 20 verses, okay? So let's just read through this, and then I'll pray. Verse 1, it says, Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, or the uh, Sanhedrin, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus and led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and, the, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas a revolutionary, or a terrorist, as you can translate that, who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release, release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews, Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. It says the soldiers took Jesus into the courtroom of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. He dressed them in a purple robe, in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes on him again and led him away to be crucified. 
That's what we're going to be talking about today, okay? Heavy, heavy stuff, right? I'm going to prepare you right now that the end of that is going to be heavy, okay? So I just want to prepare you for that, okay? But we've got to get through this trial and all this good stuff. So I figured the best way to, to start this off is let's just pray, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you so much, Lord, that, um, man, you, you are our rescuer. And I thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you that you came to our rescue. Thank you that you endured all the things that we're going to read about today. Lord, that you did that for us. And we, we appreciate that, Lord, that you would come and, and stand in our place so that you could be the Savior, Lord, for us and for our sins. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We, we really do just appreciate you. I, I thank you for everything that you endured on my behalf. Man, Lord, may we just be humbled and, and just in awe of who you are, Lord, and the things that you went through on, on behalf of us. And, and Lord, not really to feel guilty or anything like that, but just appreciative, Lord, of, of your great sacrifice. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is a, um, man, you wouldn't talk about a bad day. This is a rough day. I, I have, you have, we've, we've had bad days in our lives, but I don't know if anything compares to this day in Jesus's lifetime, right? Just the, what, you know, from the late night arrest in the garden where he was betrayed by one of his followers, Judas Iscariot, to the illegal trial procedures that happened in the middle of the night with the religious leaders and and all of that, and, and what we left off last week was that, you know, they had blindfolded Jesus, and they were slapping him, they were punching him. The other gospel accounts let, let us know that they were, they were pulling out pieces of his beard, and they were spitting on him. And, and this is everything, like, this is, you know, Thursday, you know, technically going into this Friday, and it just keeps going for Jesus. It just keeps going, because they're going to, what we see is they take him from that scene, high priest's house, they got to get him to Pilate. And so that's where 15 picks up in, in uh, verse 1. Very early in the morning, very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, teachers of religious law, the scribes, the, the entire Sanhedrin, they met to discuss their next step. What's our next step? What do we got to do? They knew in order to have Jesus killed, they couldn't do it themselves. Now, just so we understand this, they have ignored this rule from the Romans before. If you've read the book of Acts, you know that because they stoned Stephen and they didn't get anybody's, they didn't get Pilate's approval for that because he was still kind of in charge when, well, he may have been out by that time, but they didn't seek approval to put Stephen to death. So there are times where they will go around what the law says, the law meaning the Romans, they were in charge at that time. But in this story, they're not going to do that. And there's a reason. They, they don't want, really, they, they don't want like all the guilt to be associated with them because Jesus is very popular. In one sense, and no, no fault to him at all, but nobody knows Stephen. But everybody knows Jesus, kind of, right? For the most part, in this day and age and all that good stuff, they're hearing the stories of him. And, and you have a huge crowd of Galileans that are there in Jerusalem for Passover. And Jesus is their guy because he did most of his ministry in the Galilean region in Israel. So there's a lot that's here. They got to they get there early in the morning. Number one, because Pilate, when he ran his, as the judge, when he ran his court, it happened you know, as early as possible. 
And he liked to end it as early as possible as well. So he went from sunup to about noon. So if you wanted your, your case to be heard by Pilate, well, you had to be like first on the docket. So there's a motivation for them like, okay, well, we can't put them to death. We're not going to do that. So we got to get them to Pilate, which means we got to get them there. We got to get him there very early. Okay. This is also probably part of Judas's plan as well. Okay, he knew we can get him in the garden in the middle of the night, you know, and, and then leave it to the religious, religious leaders to do their illegal procedures and all that good stuff. But they knew like, okay, if we do it in the middle of the night, then we go through our stuff, then we can get him at Pilate first thing in the morning before all these travelers from Galilee are even awake. Because if they catch wind of this, then they're going to show up and they're going to cause a ruckus. So there's some scheming that's going on here, but what I'm, I'm just always impressed with is no matter how man schemes and how brilliant we think we are at times, this is all part of God's plan. And you can be as smart as whatever and think you got everything in control, but if it's not part of his plan, then it just probably is not going to happen. But see, here's God saying like, okay, you think you got this, and, and they're doing everything they can. They're going to show up early, and that's what they do. They, they take them right to Pilate. Now, Mark's gospel kind of fast-forwards this whole procedure. Luke's gospel gives us a lot. He even gives us some of the accusations they were throwing out to Pilate concerning Jesus. Mark doesn't do any of that. He actually picks up in like stage two of a trial, okay? So there's, there's five stages within a Roman trial, and I'll, I'll read these to you guys just so you understand. But the plaintiff would be brought, you know, the plaintiff would bring in, uh, the indictment against the accused, Okay, so first and foremost, you got to stand before Pilate, you have to gain his audience, and then you have to bring, like, this person is guilty, or we say he's guilty of doing this. That's step one. The judge would then examine both the accusation and the accused. That's where we pick up in Mark chapter 15. We're on step two. Three, statements of the accused and evidence, either for or against, are, are heard and processed. Then the court official declares... All that the, all evidence is in, so they, they allow for a time frame, like, okay, let's get all the evidence in, and then a court official would, would pronounce, like, okay, there's no more evidence to be heard or seen. And then the fifth step of that is the judge would then consult with advisors if he needed to, and then pronounce his verdict, okay? So where we pick up in Mark's gospel is actually in step two. So in Luke's account, he's letting us know that they go before Pilate, and they're, they're throwing out all these accusations. And please know, none of these accusations are things that they found him guilty of. Because Pilate doesn't care that Jesus claimed to be God. Pilate is a polytheist. He's part of the Roman Empire. They have many, poly meaning many. They have many gods that they worship. To him, they'd be like, so what? He's another god. Okay, there's lots of those things. So that, that's not going to face him at all. But, but if you come to him with a political accusation, then that's going to catch his attention. Because what we don't know from this story is that Pilate's kind of in hot water already. He's not the greatest governor. He's not the greatest ruler. He's had some blemishes on his career, on his resume, so to speak. And this is Passover week. He's going to find himself in Jerusalem. There's not a lot known about Pilate as an individual. There's some thoughts out there that he may have been like a, a slave at one point and had attained freedom for himself and rose within the military ranks and then was given this position. 
can't say that, that that's true or not, honestly. I mean, there's, there's some stories that are out there about him. There's probably more stories about him after he died than when he was alive. Really weird myths about Pilate afterwards. I mean, that Jesus in resurrection form showed up to him and his wife, and, and they repented of their sins and became followers. And even the church in one of the churches in Africa even made him as a saint. And you're like, okay. I don't, yeah, I don't, maybe, I don't know, probably not. Uh, I don't, I don't, you don't get that from Pilate. What we do know about Pilate is that he was a cruel man. He was a cruel man and, and he didn't mind bloodshed at all. In fact, he would be guilty not too long after this story of, for the death of, of some, some Samaritans and, and all this crazy stuff, but it, it would ultimately be his demise. He would lose his position probably about three years after this story takes place. And we don't know what happens to Pilate, honestly. The strongest theory that's out there is that he ended up committing suicide. But we just don't know. And this story is not even about Pilate. I find him a little bit fascinating, but he's just the guy that's in charge at this moment. And here he is, he's in Jerusalem, and he's going to be the guy overseeing Jesus's trial, which is verse two. When we just jump right into it, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews, right? So step one's already, already happened, right? We, we know that they bound Jesus, they took him there, and then they, they were making all their accusations. They're saying, no, he's, like, he's leading a rebellion. He's an insurrectionist. Barabbas was an insurrectionist, the guy that they let go, right? They're accusing Jesus of everything that Barabbas did, but Jesus is the one who's going to die, okay? So they're bringing all, like he claims to be a king, he doesn't claim, they're not going to tell me he claims to be God because, again, Pilate doesn't care about that. But he claims to be a king, so that's a threat to Caesar. And then they throw out all these other accusations. They even mention the fact that he's from Galilee, and he, he spent most of his, his ministry time in Galilee. And so if, if you look at the total chronology of this story, you know that Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Well, he does that because he hears Galilee, and Herod's over Galilee, so this won't be my problem anymore. I'll send him to Herod. Herod can examine him. And this will be Herod's problem. The issue with that was that Herod's like, he thought he was John the Baptist reincarnated and all this crazy stuff and had his own fun at Jesus's expense, but then sent him back to Pilate. Now we're, this is kind of where the story has taken place where you're like, Pilate's okay. They're accusing you of being a king. Verse two, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, you have said it. Right? So Jesus doesn't give him a yes, but he is answering yes to this question, okay? So this is a, um, a qualified yes, is what we call this, which would merit further questions, okay? So if Jesus would have said yes, trial's over. Scourge him and crucify him. But because Jesus answered the way that he answered, because he's very smart, he's very brilliant, he says, you have said it. And so Pilate's like, Okay, I think that's a yes. It sounds like you're saying yes. So he wants to, he's going to dig deeper into the story. But really, Jesus is, for the first time publicly, in, in one sense, especially before the, this audience, saying, yeah, king of the Jews? No, I'm not just the king of the Jews. I'm the king of kings. I'm the king of kings. And what, I don't know if I can communicate this or if I can paint this picture in your brains, but you really have to put yourself into this story. They're in, you know, in Jerusalem, and they're on probably like a stage-type scene. There, there's Pilate, and there stands Jesus bound, standing next to him. 
and just full confidence. Confidence. And just standing there, silent. And, and this, this is going to blow Pilate away because every person who stood before Pilate in this kind of scenario, and you could think of the two, the two criminals who died next to Jesus on the, on the other crosses, they would be begging and pleading for their lives. But here stands Jesus, strong, confident. Pilate, you can't do anything to me that God hasn't allowed, that my father hasn't allowed. I'm not worried about you. Because what I came to do, I'm going to accomplish. And he could stand there confidently. He wasn't moved by these things. He wasn't moved by these things. Because again, Jesus showed up to do what his father had called him to do. God the Father had called him and sent him on this rescue mission, so to speak, to do. And he was going to do those things. He spent that time in the garden where he was praying, saying, if there is any other way, there's any other way, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And his face was set like flint on the cross. You and I can stand confidently following our great Savior's example in the midst of chaos and hard times. And even if the days get harder and darker for Christians, which I think that they probably will, it might get a little tougher to be a Christian in this world, regardless of what may come, you and I, in our, because of who we are in Christ, can stand confidently. This is who I am. This is what God has called me to do. I, I, I'm not going to be shaken because I stand, I stand in him. He's my identity. And when I look at Jesus, I, man, I see this Jesus and I'm like, that's, that's, one, that's one just bad dude. Why can't we have more pictures of this Jesus, right? Like, I appreciate the Renaissance. That's fine. And they did their paintings and their whatever. But I'm like, where's this Jesus at? Where's this Jesus at? Where's this Jesus at in our lives? Because oftentimes the way that I respond to difficulties within my life communicates a different kind of Jesus to the world that's watching me. Can maybe communicate to the world that's watching me of like, oh, Dear Jesus doesn't sound like a rescuer. Sounds like he maybe just turned his back on you or is he even there? And it's a difficult thing because, I, I mean, I, I wrestle with this. I have good moments and I have bad moments. I have times where I'm like, yep, you and me, Jesus, I'm all in. Then I have other moments in my life where I'm like, where'd you go? I could really use you right now. I don't think I can make it, right? We all go through those things. I want to make sure that I'm living my life representing a Jesus who is, who is king of kings. He's the king of kings. So just, you know, as best as possible, I mean, I want to create that image within your heads here as we go through this, as this man who thinks he is in charge of everything is talking to the guy who actually created him and formed and fashioned him inside of his mother's womb. Do you know who you're talking to, Pilate? Because he knows you. He knows you. So here's Pilate, and Pilate's just intrigued by Jesus because he's like, you're not acting like a normal criminal. You're not acting, and you know, you and I know this, we, we know when people are guilty of something, I mean, they will go above and beyond to, you know, declare their innocence, and they'll make up stories, and the more elaborate the story is, the more that you know they're lying. Like, that's true, right? You, you know that, and it's like, oh, why are all these details in the story? Jesus is just there, quiet. Pilate asks him, you're the king of the Jews? 
Yeah, you said it. You said it. And then Pilate's just like, I think he's just kind of in awe of this whole thing. He didn't, Jesus didn't need to defend himself. He didn't need to do any of that. And Pilate presses more. It says, you know, as a verse three, the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, which they had no other witnesses to these things. Just so you understand this, they're just shouting out things. They're just shouting out things. And they're probably watching Pilate's expression as he's like smiling at them because Pilate hates these guys, by the way. He does not like these religious leaders at all, at all. And so he's kind of like, he's kind of a punk in one sense where he's like messing with these guys, okay? But he's listening to their, their accusations and nothing's affecting him, nothing's affecting him, right? So then they have to like search for like, okay, well, let's try this one, let's try this one, let's try this one. Watching his facial expressions. And as they're throwing out these accusations, Pilate's like, aren't you going to say anything? Aren't you going to defend yourself? So they're, they're throwing him out. Many crimes, many crimes. Pilate asks him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing. Why? I don't have to defend myself. He doesn't need to defend himself. And his silence doesn't prove that he's guilty. In fact, in this Roman you know, courtroom scenario, they didn't think if like, well, if you don't say anything, then you're, it's because you're guilty. They didn't, they didn't think that way. So Pilate, I mean, his brain, his brain's just spinning where he's like, man, they're just coming at you like crazy. And he can tell this is, and we see that even in the text, he, he'll let us know. He knows like, you guys have a personal issue with this guy. This has nothing to do with like legality. This has nothing to do with any of that stuff. You guys just don't like this guy. So he's smart enough. He's picking up on all that stuff. But he's, again, he's just like, why aren't you saying anything? And I think Jesus just models yet another good example for myself and for you. You don't always have to defend yourself. You don't always have to. People come at you with different accusations. I don't know. I mean, if, hopefully they're not true. If they're true, then hopefully you would, you know, own that. And if there needs to be an apology, then make that apology. But if you've served in ministry for any length of time, you understand what these accusations can look like, sound like, and feel like. And they're not always true. That's the sad thing about working in a church. That's the sad thing about the church as a whole is that I, I've been around long enough. Like I said, October 1st will be 19 years of full-time ministry. 19 years of full-time ministry. And what I've seen is within the church walls, people are mean. People are mean. I'm like, ah, this is... A, and it was, it was a little bit of a, a, a shock to me when I first got into it because I didn't grow up in church. I mean, I had a little bit of church exposure and all that good stuff growing up, but I didn't go to church. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with the church. Then I found myself working at a church and then exposed to like, oh man, you people are vicious. This is crazy. As I watch my pastor get like, just dragged across the coals and just like all of this stuff. And I'm like, and then even other pastors that I admired and they're like, oh, this is normal this is normal. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what is wrong with us that, we, that this is allowed? But, you know, if accusations are true, then accusations are true. And then hopefully whoever they're against, if it's a leader, then the leader owns those things, repents of those things, does what's necessary within that. Unfortunately, though, just like within this scene, a lot of what's said isn't always true. 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.